0: I think uh, General Patton said the f- first casualty of battle is always the plan. So it doesn't matter what, how well you have thought this out, planning this and taking into, into account everything that you think you could possibly take. You have the one wild card and that's the suspect.
1: Which of these techniques, which of these warrant styles are best per situation? If you look at the totality of circumstances, all your evidence, with a little bit of education, you can pick one of these warrant styles and make it fit your objective. So that was signed as a no-knock search warrant. What people don't understand is that it was not executed as no-knock. They knocked and announced multiple times. When they breached, after they gave them more than a reasonable amount, enough time to open the door and respond and comply, They breached the door at which time an officer was shot. That's when they returned fire. I think it was 2018. We got three shootings in a row in narcotics and uh, no one returned fire. One of our officers was shot right through the holster. You can't do suppressive fire or directed fire into a structure where you know there's potentially other people besides the one that's trying to kill you.
2: You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the the Officer Foundation.
0: Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories.
2: We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree and we all make mistakes.
3: But together we can grow, we can heal,
2: and we can learn from those mistakes.
3: And together we can bridge the
2: divide. Welcome back ATO listeners. I'm Joe King. I'm with Randy Aguilar, Detective Holmes, Detective Margie, Detective Green sitting in. Today's episode is a change of pace from this podcast story time of tragedy and recovery. Today, we'll be giving the listeners some perspectives on one of the most controversial topics in America today warrant service. This episode will be broken into two parts from two different perspectives from two very high profile units in the police department, narcotics and SWAT. The episode is about educating and understanding police warrant service knock and announce, surround and call out, no knock warrants. The no-knock warrant has been front and center for a while, but recently the light became much brighter and hotter with the Breonna Taylor and Amir Locke incidents. But like any incident, there is some controversy and a lot of misinformation. There are a lot of people, both police and civilian, that do not know the difference in the type of warrant operations that are conducted. Maybe these two episodes will help inform, help understand, and just maybe bridge some divides. I want to give a quick intro to the panel of experts that will be discussing these topics. Matt Baines, y'all have all heard of him from Episode 5 and 6. He is currently in narcotics, has been with Dallas SWAT also. So he has several quick critical incidents, and he has different perspectives from SWAT and narcotics from uh, these warrants. A name the listener may not have heard in this podcast is Sergeant Jerry Girdler. He has been with Dallas PD for 26 years, seven in Dallas SWAT and now he's been in narcotics as a supervisor for the past nine years. Sergeant Girdler has seen both sides of the coin with the warrant service, seen the evolution in training as well as a shift in perspectives from the public and the PD on these tactics. Sergeant Girdler, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the invitation.
2: All right, we're going to go ahead and dive into this. Um, These opinions are not of the Dallas Police Department. We're just here to give information and talk about fact versus myths when it comes to these uh, narcotics investigations. There's going to be a part two with SWAT. Uh, Matt Smith is a SWAT operator. Uh, He is going to be on part two. I wanted to get narcotics in here to give their perspective as they utilize these warrants to actually gather evidence for prosecution. Matt, stage is yours.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here. Honored as well. And so my goal on coming on this podcast doing in this is basically just to educate educate the public and hopefully squelch some of the misinformation that's out there and when i first noticed that there was such a uh i guess some so much confusion in warrants and tactics and everything that we're going to discuss was actually when i started training other officers and going to other police departments and things like that and when you're teaching an entry school and you you ask the the hosting agency what uh what kind of what kind of entries do you guys do and they're like uh what, what do you mean and like were you guys doing slow search are you go, are doing arrest warrant search are you doing dynamic and it was like well we just you know there was there was no answer or not a clear answer you'd have to ask way more questions to find out what it is what kind of training that they needed and so that's when I realized you know in Dallas we actually have names for our tactics and we apply each tactic per situation and just being here um for 20 years I'm kind of, I was kind of naive to the fact that there's so many agencies out there that don't understand tactics and the type of tactics and how to use tactics. And so we cannot expect the public to have any sort of understanding of
2: well, it. A lot of their information they're just getting from the news and they just that's, hear buzzwords. They don't know the actual definitions.
1: Right. In the, in the news media, attorneys, judges, police uh, administrators, no one really understands the concept of tactics and And much less unless you're an investigator or a detective the uh, the amount of investigative resources and time that it that people that officers put into it to actually get a search warrant um, or even an arrest warrant for that matter and so that, that's kind of the the reason for this podcast and for us uh, discussing these is- issues
2: yeah it's just that we just want to get information out there that that's on some hot topics that that I think that are just misunderstood in a lot of ways.
1: Right. And to begin with, we can just uh attack the one that's you know, the most hot and heated in
2: the big debate right now and it's the no knock no knock search warrant. Can you define that? What is a no knock search warrant?
0: Uh okay so uh <clears throat> the no knock that's a if if you think of it in a sense of uh in a twofold sense, no-knock can be thought of as a tactic, and it can also be thought of as what it really is, as a legal principle in American jurisprudence. Uh, The no-knock principle, or the knock-and-announce principle, has been English common law since probably the birth of common law in England. Uh, And that's the idea that an agent of government must announce his authority and his position before he makes entry into a private residence. Uh, During, uh, as history has evolved and we have, uh, run into different types of crimes that in America that we have uh, uh, experienced uh, during the 1980s. And the, the moniker that we gave up was the War on Drugs, where we saw uh, the street-level drug use causing an inordinate amount of violent crime. Uh, we began to take uh, tactics that were uh, essentially developed by hostage rescue teams, military teams, and adapted those tactics to uh, make safer entry into places that were either barricaded, uh, these criminals were much more heavily armed and armed with much more lethal weapons than your average uh, revolver or semi-automatic pistol. We were finding that uh, assault rifles were common, uh, smaller sub-gun type weapons uh, were common in these uh, dope houses and these uh, dope locations. This is also a time when Lots of police officers still carried six-shot revolvers, and the modern-day semi-automatic was more and more finding its way into the hands of criminals. And so the police, sometimes in an effort to use a tactic to uh, gain back that advantage from an equipment uh, standpoint, we've employed those tactics over the years.
2: Why, w- in what, why would you run a no-knock warrant? Can you explain what the benefits are? Sure.
0: Uh, Some of the reasons, uh, there there are still legitimate reasons to this day, uh, is the recovery of evidence. Uh, The idea that you may use uh, speed, surprise, and diversion to overwhelm an opponent, in this case a person in a barricaded home uh, who would have time to not only destroy evidence but to uh, gain access to a firearm or other weapons that might be used to harm the officer. The idea is that, uh, and I think Matt will probably discuss this a little bit earlier, the idea that we use those, those uh, that diversion and that speed and surprise to overwhelm that person inside helps us do our job safer.
1: And it's the old speed, surprise, violence of action uh, in the OODA loop. Um, without diving into that, you basically, if you're going off after a known bad guy or drug dealer, then you need every tactical advantage you get, and you're trying to dissect your your battlefield. You're trying to gain the tactical advantage because you're always going to be on his battlefield.
3: Matt, let me ask you one, one thing real yes. quick on this. Before you get into this, on a no-knock, mm-hmm. are you
1: not knocking or are you knocking? Okay, a no-knock, you breach and you announce your presence. Okay. You're always going to announce police.
3: Are there any warrants where you knock on the door?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, and we'll get into those. Okay. Um. So... The, the concept behind a no-knock is to soften up your target from multiple different perspectives, whether it be front door, back door, windows. And so put yourself you know, in the situation, you're, you're a drug dealer, and suddenly your front door blasts in and people are on the announcing police. Then your back door and your and a window next to you all at the same time the the uh, it's overwhelming it's it's the old fa- you know speed surprise violence of action without getting into you know a law enforcement entry school here, um, it disorients your your objective you know your your suspect it's like
2: a shock and all type. correct
1: yeah. and it it also you know you can't win if you're the bad guy you're not going to win that fight um, and that so for all those reasons without getting into the layers of it. Is it gives you the tactical advantage from an entry team and an officer safety standpoint. What you're talking about is, is another style of warrant is knock and announce. Um, if, and let's use an example, say a burglary suspect that's living at home with his wife or his mother or his family. You can knock on the door. Someone's going to answer. Or if they don't answer, you knock and you announce police. It's a felony warrant. You have it signed. You can if you have information where you know the suspect is at home, you give them a reasonable amount of time to comply. And if they don't, then you can breach, announce police, and then again give them a reasonable amount of time to comply. But there's no confusion as to who it is that's knocking on the door or that has breached your door. It's the, it's the police to serve a felony warrant for robbery, burglary, assault, uh, whatever the offense may be. Um, and then there's the surrounding call out. And we can, we can also talk about these, these three ways of executing warrants. Um, Gardler had a pretty good perspective on it where he says no knock is, is not really a tactic. Knock and announce and surrounding call out would be more described as a, as a tactic. Now, surrounding call out is, is where you surround the location um, and then you make your announcement known. That you're outside and you demand compliance from from everyone within the structure and it's a slow progressive organized uh, warrant service where everyone comes out the officers maintain hard cover ballistic protection and you call everyone to you with their hands up
2: what are some of the benefits and uh, disadvantages of doing that surrounding call out Mm -hmm.
1: okay it's probably the safest as far as avoiding any sort of conflict because when you when you stage on a location you're concealed behind bu- ballistic protection and you're using loud hailers, microphones basically the entire block is going to know that there's police activity you shut down intersections um, you make it safe for the suspects the officers and the surrounding citizens
2: that type of warrant though would not be as productive in actual getting real narcotics evidence right it's Correct. it's more than likely it will be gone by the time that person exits and y'all make entry if they exit and the evidence that you would need for prosecution more than likely would be just gone sure that's yeah.
1: that is the disadvantage okay if you want to add
0: yeah so back to some of the case law you know that actual knock and announce does not involve necessarily the the legal requirement that you walk up to the structure knock on the door, mm. and then you know, allow for that admittance into the residence. That knocking and announcing can be accomplished again, like you said, from a position of cover with a loud hailer. Uh, that can be used through limited destruction of the structure, whether that means uh, breaking out a window to get the person's attention, to reaching a door maybe and then pulling back to a position of cover to get an opening in. And to ensure that the person hears you,
2: or maybe send a ro- like a robot in, or send a
0: one of the probing devices, mm-hmm. a robot or a camera ball or or another uh, technical device like that.
2: When it comes to narcotics, the, can can you kind of just walk me through how an investigation goes? Because I'm, I'm so what you're describing there. I've actually, when I was out in patrol, we had several uh, calls out that ended up become barricaded purses, and that's that's what it basically turned into from a position of cover. We weren't. They weren't there to necessarily try to preserve evidence and gather evidence. It was to preserve life, and also get uh, ultimate compliance with the person given up, or before they breached. Uh, but y'all, y- y'all actually were investigating crimes that are going on in neighborhoods, usually from an outcry from a citizen that li- has to live amongst these houses. They're terrorized daily. The neighborhoods are terrorized daily by these uh, drug dealers. And, you know, I'm, I'm well aware too, that uh city of Dallas has no shortage of drug houses.
1: Sure. And what you're describing is your quality of life complaints. And that's a law enforcement term to where, and anybody out there can relate to this, where you have a loved one or it's even your own, your own house and next door, you have a trap house. And I want to kind of describe what a trap house is Please, and surrounding jurisdictions. Um, they may not fool. And this is another thing I learned by training outside the state of Texas that um, people don't understand really what a trap house is, a true dope house. And in, in Dallas, we've got uh, hundreds The the primary, the driving force of our complaints that stack up on our narcotics detectives desk are trap houses. So, the trap house is a residence in a neighborhood. It's always going to be in a neighborhood base most of the time and that structure is used primarily for the sole purpose of selling controlled substances and you know we can talk about marijuana and how you know everybody smokes marijuana and we're, get, we're almost. We don't even know if it's legal or or not. Almost yeah. in Dallas County, and more murders. Ask a homicide detective what more. What if you pick a substance: heroin, uh, coke, meth, marijuana? Those murders are happening over marijuana, but that that's a, that's a different.
2: So that's because anytime you bring anything that has value in it, there's sure. a, there's a chance for somebody sure. to and, can and be so killed. There's over
0: very it. good, very expensive marijuana, and yeah, marijuana is currency on sure. the streets. It's just, it's especially this, than having this, a water bill sometimes.
1: Well, the pharmacies that are producing very high grade marijuana, as opposed to the cartel Mexican uh, ragweed, you know, Reggie that I used to buy on the streets when I was undercover, it's a, it's a, you know, very. I mean, that's where the money is. Is the marijuana? So. Well, a and, lot
2: of the like hey, a lot of those marijuana houses, they couple it with other drugs that are actually they're selling along sure. with it, whether it's PCP or uh, some kind of prescription pill or fentanyl or uh, hydrocodones they this a lot of them have different types of weed they have a one-stop shop
1: it's hard to find a a powder house that's not selling weed you know so let me describe what a trap house is so it's a structure that is used for the sole purpose of selling marijuana it's it's limited i mean i'm sorry controlled substance it's limited on any sort of furniture may or may not even have working electricity and plumbing um, barricades, heavily fortified. There's uh, Jamaican blocks and barn door barricades, and I don't want to go into too much detail on that, but they're they are interior and exterior fortifications made for two reasons, to to impede the police and to protect themselves from other dope dealers. That is a true trap house. Um, some trap houses, you can have the whole gamut going on with the prostitution. There could be a smoke house where it's just a known gathering place for the local neighborhood users, addicts, yeah, and you'll you'll run a warrant and find fifteen people in a in a smokehouse, um, and so I don't, I, I know your other major cities are going to have hardcore trap houses like we do in Dallas, um, but I did learn that other other agencies when they execute narcotic search warrants, it's a lot of times where it's uh, um, and and in Dallas we have this also where the grand kid is living with. With the elderly uh, grandmother, grandfather, and he's just selling out of the house. But it's it's still got a family there. There's still furniture. It's still electricity. That, in our perspective, that's not a true trap house. Now they're just as dangerous. But um, that's what a trap house is. It's uh, you get in to make your deal. You're barricaded inside, and you make your undercover deal, and and then you leave. And so,
0: well, real, real quick
1: ahead. on those
2: trap houses, those, those usually are just. Uh, a main dealer will will farm out younger guys to sit inside there all day they'll put a xbox or a playstation in there and they'll have interior exterior uh cages and uh bars and it's there's no food there's maybe a couch and uh a couple of fold-out chairs and then maybe a mattress on the floor but it's usually you could tell it's not used for a habitation it's used for business
1: right it's not they're non-livable And they'll work them in shifts. You know, a a middleman will have six trap houses, and he has to keep them all employed. And there's usually a dealer and a doorman. And then muscle. There's usually two to three people operating a trap house. And the dealer will sometimes have someone running to supply each of his trap houses. And he runs the stash house. So that's kind of the hierarchy. Um, The stash house is where you're going to find money and larger, larger amounts of dope. Normally, normally not in the same place. It's either dope stash or house or a. Money oh yeah, stash usually house. far
2: apart from each other. in Most cases.
1: But that so that kind of loops us into our next issue is like how drugs are now no, they're no longer a, a violent crime. I mean, you ask a fifth grader that's in the say no to drugs you know program, and he can explain to you how narcotics controls the crime rate in a city or a community. All of your property crimes are going to be related all your prostitution your human trafficking it's all going to be looped in with dope and that's that's another concept that i'm not sure you know us uh, the citizens have become very lenient and i guess in their in their voting practices or maybe just their
0: there's a lot the the attitudes about casual drug use have obviously changed yes and through society and there was a time in dallas uh Matt goes back to quality of life issues. You remember this time, Joe, and probably in the '90s. I think it was '91. The city uh, sustained 500 murders. That's the most murders we ever had in one year. That was 1991. The bloody drug wars, and that was the up. height of, you know, the crack cocaine crack. wars, and every city experienced that.
2: We um, actually had Chief Kowalski on okay. with Bob Owens, and, and they and they discussed mm-hmm. how that hit Dallas, and right. and, and and how lots of communities
0: were, were not prepared to deal with. Again, we go back to the, the street-level violence mm-hmm. that accompanied uh, that uptick in uh, drug use. So the department's answer to that was the development of street squads, which was a quick reactionary force that could go in and confront these guys, these criminals, uh, shut down these trap houses, and uh, on a quick on a quick basis. So we, we can move on to the next one. It was not unusual for. Three or four warrants to be served by a single squad in a day, just because of the number of complaints and the number of uh, trap houses that the the city uh, had to endure. During Two those man days. dynamic, and there was right. And the entry style was very rudimentary. There was not a lot of uh, not a lot of thought given to how we might use diversion and surprise and multiple entry points to uh, gain our advantage. You know, we've learned that SWAT guys and Tacticians in police work uh, over the years have learned, unfortunately through tragedy, lots of times, uh, to try to, you know, adopt some of those better tactics.
2: Well, yeah, that everything evolves tactically, and even y'all's training has evolved from when narcotics started to what y'all, actually guys, are doing now, and y'all and y'all deal with the training right now in narcotics, uh, and y'all kind of take more of a SWAT approach in in, in your in your training. But y'all, SWAT has a different function than y'all. Y'all are investigative. Y'all are trying to stop whatever's going on at that family that's living in a neighborhood amongst a drug house. You're trying to stop that activity, and, and make no mistake, we're in the country is not. We have not been winning any drug war since Nixon declared it a drug war. It, we just try to help out the families that are they're doing the outcries, and then kind of push it to another neighborhood or another street sadly
1: right and so well then let's talk about what it takes to get a search warrant yep, a narcotic please.
2: search warrant and we've we've discussed
1: we've kind of breezed over some entry tactics we we got two-man dynamic immediate threat knocking out slow search stealth to contact all that all that's cop talk and and you know it's a you know for, for a different show if we want to dissect what tactics are but um for educational purposes we can talk about what what it takes to get A narcotic search warrant, and the a lot lot of the common citizen, you might think, and it really to me seems that they actually do think, well, I don't like my neighbor; his dog barks and he plays loud music, so I'm going to call the police department and say he's a dope dealer, and I'm going to stand here because in about two hours there's going to be a whole SWAT team coming in and crashing his house, and and I'm going to you know. It, it does. It does not work that
2: way. It was a Fourth Amendment. We get it right.
1: Yeah. Right. It's uh,
0: well. Yeah. There's that, and it's, it's just a. It's a waste of investigative activity and time. that yeah. That's not a good complaint. That's right. not properly. Vetted. We get a lot of those though. A I'm lot, sure a those lot, things and in those. We have uh, lots of complaints in narcotics division that uh, those complaints are vetted and evaluated and triaged based on actionable intelligence. And then you all
2: go out and do it your own. Sure. Recon- and then there, yeah. There's yeah. an
0: actual investigation that, go, that goes on with each of those complaints.
1: And it's all documented. How many hours you spent surveilling a location what you observed with every that's single all, complaint.
0: And that all has to be, that's that's how you build what Matt's probably going to allude to here in a little bit, is your probable cause. Because a third-party judicial official, a judge in this case, is going to want to know what have you done to meet that threshold of probable cause more likely than not, is this a dope house? And is their legal sales going on. You have on to there? get a lot
2: of building blocks to, to, uh, get to the threshold of probable cause, right? That's for any crime.
0: That's any crime, right? That's, that's the standard, uh, in America. Hey,
2: Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the, what's your definition of probable cause? The way
1: I would describe probable probable cause is almost tangible. Um, and 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 I can it's basically indisputable evidence that you've had an offense occur, um, something you observe and if, and for narcotics it it does ha- it literally is tangible because it's dope that you can test right, and it yields a positive uh, field test for cocaine or heroin or whatever the substance is that you're that you're that you think it is. Um, so it's factual evidence.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know each case has its own. Yeah. Uh, you know its own permutations and its sure. own uh, individual characteristics but essentially uh, I don't know if it's black's law dictionary it defines it Let me specifically, give specifically example. like that. It's more likely than not. It's not really uh it's it's a higher threshold than reasonable suspicion. Well let's talk about But it doesn't that. R- it, but it doesn't amount to uh like the trial like right. a, a reasonable doubt. It's not reasonable doubt and it's not uh it's not quite as freely. It's not quite the, the low bar, but it as gives reasonable
2: you, suspicion. It gives you probable cause to arrest or search. And, right, and, and it's signed by a judge. And even or to if get you're, a warrant. If a arrest. you're arresting somebody, you're getting an arrest warrant, but you have to have probable cause before you can get an arrest warrant. Exactly. And probable cause is fact, facts or circumstances that would leave a, lead a reasonable, reasonable person, person to believe that a crime has been committed, will be committed, or is being committed. Right. Bam. There you go. There so, you go. boom. Reasonable suspicion. Mic drop. He, he wanted to so show off. That's why that question hey, You asked. asked. I, I just sit here and Googled it. Hey, did, you see his,
1: did you see his pecs bouncing yeah. while he was talking? <laughs> did you like that so, shit? <laughs> so, uh, one thing. Let's talk about re- – so, you're Deep Nights, okay? And we've all been there. Deep Nights patrol, and there's someone parked behind AutoZone. Business is closed. He's parked there. Motor's running. Lights are off, and he's in his car. We got probable cause. We got reasonable suspicion. What do y'all think? Can we lawfully make contact with that person?
2: They're in a public place. You can walk up and, and uh, make contact with anybody. Well, I, I would articulate encounter. reasonable suspicion all yeah. day. I can, at the I time, can, you, look, you look at the, the totality of the circumstances, right. the time of night, possible histi- high history of the location. History of yeah. location, right. possible high crime area. I'm going to go talk to that close talk business to somebody there. Sure, you don't sure. you don't have to have a crime being committed before you can go and sure and investigate. And you That's can always sure.
0: engage in a consensual encounter. Of course, and then as the situation unfolds, you may see that he's got a hacksaw or you know burglary tools or if he volunteers or to give warrant. you his information and or he has just a, warrant, a shitty story, it doesn't add yeah, up. Yeah, it doesn't add up. Yeah, sure. There's so, there's lots of building blocks. You got
2: to get to those building blocks though to get to the the level of probable cause right
1: so okay back to narcotics to get a narcotic search or a a warrant signed by a judge we have and i'm not going to give trade secrets away but we have ways of buying dope whether it be undercover use of informants things like that and we will target a location based on a complaint
2: a complaint from a citizen yes
1: okay or based on what we observe as trained narcotics detectives out in the field yeah um but Once. still hey,
2: but still some citizens have to live with that shit. Sure. But yeah. yeah.
1: And this is this is again street squad's level, which is the kind of the biggest part, you know, D P D, it's broken up into different levels in the in the narcotics division. Street squad's level is is responsible for those hundreds of quality of life complaints. So you're able to make a buy out of a out of specific location. With that you bring it back you have it field tested in, in the presence of a supervisor whoever, who witnesses the positive result for, let's say, meth. At that point, um, you take your evidence and your findings, you log it in the property room. Um, it stays there until trial or until it gets disposed of. You write your affidavit on date, time, location, who your suspects are. And, and at this point, you're running license plates doing all kind of other surveillance take your findings to a judge who reads it you sign it the judge signs it and now you have legal authority to execute a warrant on the structure and the there is a no knock clause now let's loop back around to yeah. no knock
2: warrants i want you yeah i want you to get into that
1: so the there you can't just run any and all warrants as no knock you have to explain to the judge in detail why it is for safety and preservation of evidence why you think you need to execute this in a dynamic fashion or no knock search warrant and so here's here's some reasons why good eyes good eyes are are other they're players in the game that are watching for other dope dealers but mainly police presence Um, when a squad car's on the next block over they're calling each other on the on the phone hey five oh you know the block is hot all, all hey, that.
2: walkie-talkies in some cases
1: sure that's that's what your good eyes are then there's your cameras um and these cameras nowadays are man, just they check can, your cell phone
0: yeah
2: yeah 4k high death mm-hmm.
1: and before before all this we would see pretty elaborate and we still do uh security systems in a trap house um with internal multiple, and external with cameras. monitors that are na- uh, monitoring the uh neighbor's house up and down the streets the alleys and so, those are all reasons of uh, any fortifications that are going to impede our entry. And we, we call those cages um, or burglar bars. There's a difference between cage and burglar bar, but any of those, any hardware attached to the house for the purpose of giving them time to either arm themselves and fight or destroy evidence or all of the above or escape. So, you present all these findings to the judge who agrees. Yeah, this is a serious enough issue and an officer safety issue and a preservation of evidence issue enough to allow these officers to serve this warrant in a dynamic fashion, which is no knocking. It's a heavily manpowered, multiple breach points, um, flash bangs, um, overwhelming aggression on the structure because that's a, one safe way to to execute that warrant. That's what a no-knock clause is.
2: Okay. And a judge has to agree, authorize Agree that. that it meets the threshold,
1: yes. So that's articulated in the search warrant itself. Um, and that's basically what it takes to get a no-knock search warrant or a narcotic search warrant in general, no matter how you execute it. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just based on an accusation.
0: Yeah, so all of those things that Matt said, uh, they do have to be, included in the warrant you're all probably familiar with the four corners rule of a search warrant which says all of your probable cause needs to be included so essentially you can't justify your search based on the fruits of the search so if you did not have probable cause in your warrant or have those facts articulated you can't then say well see there were cages i needed to run this like that that's not the legal standard the legal standard is you have included those things for the judge to review and that gives you your justification
2: wow sorry so you I know you're like a Rolodex and memory bank of, of critical inc- incidents that has happened uh, on the department, the history of DPD. I try to keep alive in this city. Can you talk about some of the uh, critical incidents that you know of from narcotics uh, that have happened over the years? Running warrants.
0: Um. Uh, we we have had uh, some shootings on warrants before. Suspect shot, officer shot.
3: And all those, your time. How many warrants do you think you've run on both sides?
0: Uh, probably 500 in SWAT and maybe another 100 in, okay. in uh, narcotics.
3: And out of all those, how many times have there been incidents where people, have y'all been shot or y'all had to shoot sure. people? What uh, are
0: they? Probably a handful of those, maybe five or six times. Uh, the thing is with uh, a lot of times uh, we just end up uh, absorbing rounds. We don't return fire because uh, obviously we're accountable every round that leaves our weapons. So uh, those people who have fired at us have, are are essentially unengageable targets. So uh, in the sense that we can't see them, uh, there may be other, there may be children or a spouse in the home. Uh, So lots of times uh, on, especially on warrants, we just, we'll just take a shot and uh, hopefully, you know, we don't get hit. uh, Either a piece of the structure catches the round. Uh, I've been Most of the shootings that occur, where people shoot at us, and I think this is probably true for most SWAT teams, they do not return fire because those targets are unengageable. They either shoot from deep within a structure, and they have no, uh, they have the officers have no way to identify. uh, Because some of them just wildly shoot in a direction as opposed
2: to shooting at a target. That happens sometimes. You know, Claggett brought up that's basically a lot of it went down to hope and luck, right? And that and that's not a really good. (laughs) It's not a good way to live. Uh, I hope
0: hopefully. that's not uh, that has not been my experience yeah. in in my time uh, perhaps oh i i did uh, yeah. some stupid shit and i look yeah. back and i'm like god <laughs> well uh,
2: i wanted i wanted to talk about some like you know we talked. it's been yeah. discussed before on this podcast about larry bromley mm-hmm. and david rodriguez briefly there there's been from narcotics there's been some some yes we officers have. that we've uh, lost uh, through narcotics true. investigations
0: yes we've had uh unfortunately two have been uh friendly fire yeah. narcotics and both within about 30 days of each other. So uh, Larry Bromley was killed in December of 91 uh, and Harold Hammonds was shot on a warrant in this case, uh, the following January. And Do you know the circumstances
2: on, on on that one?
0: Uh, yes, they were on, uh, they were executing a search warrant up on Meadow, up on channel two. Actually, I think it was Rich Ridgecrest. Uh, <clears throat> they made the entry. Uh, for whatever reason, the officer who did the shooting um, discharges a shotgun and struck Harold. Okay. Uh, he was struck in the neck with the 12-gauge I was ra- uh, shotgun. Wrap and around was that a wraparound in the kitchen? It was a wraparound. And uh, there was some question about, you know, those things are, are, are cut up and, and delved into uh, in, of the, course they in the investigations. Well, uh, anytime you have
2: tragedy, they're going to be sure. armchair quarterback.
0: Yep. Um I'm not sure I don't remember the remedy of that that was two friendly fire incidents in that short amount of time both resulting in deaths of detectives uh, I think at the time uh, the narcotics divisions warrants were probably stopped and those that duty was relegated exclusively to to sWAT right until such time i guess a, a certain amount of time had passed and then uh, and better tag...
2: They sure. had, you know, more training and, and different tactics right. used, and, and and actually gear, you know, probably sure. di- a lot different gear than we never.
1: And they developed a training unit for narcotics.
2: Yes, which right. is very important. That was and when you're uh, on that right? You know, we had
0: the <laughs> yes. uh, yeah we yeah. had the uh, we had an incident in the early 2000s that uh, made us revamp uh, a lot of the operations in narcotics, and training was one of the things uh, that came from that study uh, regarding that that incident uh, that a dedicated and fully staffed training unit was critical to the successful mission of the narcotics division. And we've uh, kept that in mind ever since.
2: All right. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to the recent cases, Breonna Taylor. There's a lot of different stories and a lot of perceptions and, and, and uh, armchair quarterback and what actually happened and opinions and what should and should have happened. Can you talk about that?
1: yeah that's really probably the whole reason we're having this conversation on this show um that and some other incidents but that's kind of that shut us down in the narcotics division that particular operation and so that was signed as a no knock search warrant or maybe even an arrest warrant i don't even know but it was a no knock clause that was signed in that warrant what people don't understand is that it was not executed as no knock they knocked and announced multiple times they knocked announced knocked announced even the neighbors uh said that they knew the police were next door at the location when they breached after they gave them more than a reasonable amount enough time to open the door and respond and comply they breached the door at which time an officer was shot in the leg um, that's when they returned fire and struck Brianna Taylor, and if we wanted to dissect it, you know the tactics uh as Gardler was talking about earlier, I think it was twenty eighteen We got three shootings in a row in narcotics margie you remember that one was on Valentine's Day, and uh no one returned fire. One of our officers was shot right through the holster. Um, and it just you can't do suppressive fire or directed fire into a structure where you know there's potentially other people besides the one that's trying to kill you. So that's kind of what they did on that on on that situation and ended up shooting uh, Breonna Taylor. And she
2: know. was not the one that was firing, correct? Okay. So yeah, that
0: that goes back to also uh, the selection your personnel and your training, and that has to be uh, instilled from from day one about this is our policy when it comes to deadly force to remind everybody we're accountable for every round regardless of the situation we find ourselves in how dire or how um, you know overwhelming it might be we are still accountable for every round
2: right
1: I, i guess a new you know and so everybody's you know the public's been calling for police reform and there's a concept that that is surprising to me that's started to develop in say i'd say the last 5 years even and or even longer but it's this it's this high regard that we hold for criminals and i mean i understand that they're citizens and they have rights and due process i agree with that 100% on some on these narcotic search warrants it's not alleged you know allegedly they're selling we have we have proof we have facts and for for the citizens in the community what the police department the police officers are feeling the guys that are actually on doing the job making entry because those are the ones i train on a daily basis it they are under the un, un, impression that that bad guy known bad guy felony suspect in there is is they're are held in just as high regard as that officer making an entry. And traditionally you have an officer shot it's pretty tragic. And it it should be. This is this goes back to what our job is. It's good versus evil. We we are here to serve the public and to rid the streets of crime and criminals and prosecute them and lock them away. That's what a police officer's job is, especially when you're talking about ar- arrest warrants and search warrants. And it's, it's the perception that these dope dealers should have the right to board up their locations, fortify them, heavily arm themselves, and fight the police. It should be a fair fight. The cops versus the dope dealers, that should be a fair battle that's a new concept for law enforcement and and if, if that's the case then we absolutely need reform and with that is going to come ex- just very high crime rates high murder rate high crime rate and all the other good stuff that you get with uh with dope in your streets so from that perspective that's what law enforcement is struggling with trying to understand and is the fact that that now the the bad guys have, you know, just as much right to protection uh, from enforcement action.
2: Well, well, officers, part of our job is to preserve life. Right. And officers, I believe, they don't wake up and start their shift going out to kill somebody or hurt somebody. It's usually the actions that they face by others in neighborhoods they don't live in and nor even drive-through unless they're working. It's actions done by others that dictate their reaction. And sometimes officers have a great reaction, a good reaction, a poor reaction. And you can have a great officer make a very poor decision in just that day in that moment. Like you said in your, your episode, it, maybe it's what you had for, for breakfast, for breakfast right. that day. It, you could, ten different people could have ten different reactions to the same incident. But I really believe that officers go set out narcotics you guys go out you want to go out and succeed in your in your investigation for the person that's given the outcry for y'all to come and demanding the citizens demand y'all come do something. Sure. We have some houses I've seen them they have they'll have like twenty complaints on the same house in a month right right
1: and you know there's All the policies, all the procedures that you can write as a police administrator, it's not going to – you can't write anything that makes this job less dangerous. And like you said, you cannot control the actions of another person. Look at our use of force policies. I mean, any ground fighter, MMA, any wrestler, grappler is going to tell you the best way to control another person is by the head. And now these officers are just taking beatings because they cannot use the appropriate amount of force just to in the in the encounter immediately, yeah. and I'm not talking about pulling your gun out and shooting somebody that won't give you your driver's license yeah um but it is just becoming the scales are being more and more you know heavily or on the more heavy on the side of uh the non compliant there are t- yeah, yeah, i think
0: there's a lot of perception yeah you know. the, I think there's also the idea that any encounter that goes wrong is automatically the fault of the police officer, that the officer did something wrong, and there's just too many circumstances and uh, environmental factors and all kinds of things that come into a citizen-police officer interaction.
2: Well, I think a lot of it, too, is people see uh, critical incidents go on where something unfortunate happens. People look at it as the aggregate of what actually goes on as opposed to, the, like you said, Hundreds of warrants ran, and you only a handful where sh- bad shit happened, right?
1: That's, that's what the media loves, yeah. You know, it's this, they na- the narrative he was on his way to church,
2: yeah. Well, <laughs> there, there's always a you could, there, you could always paint anybody in any situation to be, you know, an angel. When you guys go to these locations, you have a, it all starts with a complaint, usually, right. unless you know, or. You can you can drive by you can drive by a dope house, and you could sniff it out just by the appearance. Right. Somebody walking out, seeing an officer in a squad car, and and freaking out, running back in. Well, that there's some reasonable suspicion right there. That's when you start working on it, doing these many investigative techniques, whether it's undercover or uh, how we do it in uniform. Other techniques that you can do to address that location because something's clearly going on.
1: Right. And and just. To conclude, you know, there's to going back to the warrant service. There's no knock. There's knock and announce, and there's surrounding call out. Those are your generally your options to serve either an arrest warrant or a search warrant, and and those are all the mitigating circumstances that we've talked about for the past hour. You know, which as a citizen, you know, you which which of these techniques, which of these warrant styles are best per situation and i think you know if you look at the totality of circumstances all your evidence with a little bit of education you can you can pick one of these warrant styles and make it fit your objective if you just kind of understand how it works and what all is going going on into the investigation the history of the bad guy the structure itself the offense
2: well some locations it's you you can't even tactically do like a surrounding call out Right, right. A
1: third floor apartment.
2: Yeah, you just it's it's not feasible to actually do that to even to uh to use that option. So you have to go down your checklist and what's the best option for that particular location, right? Right. Okay, we have a lot of information we've thrown out there. Uh, Sorry, did you get anything else you want to add?
0: One thing we've talked about is uh, you know, a shift maybe in the business process of how we do things. So. Perhaps an investigation can be conducted in a manner that its culmination doesn't require you serving a search warrant. You know, perhaps you can identify. Sure. Uh, perhaps you can identify the suspect through another means, and you can uh, get an arrest warrant for him, and he can be picked up uh, at a location. Either you can call him out with a ruse, or he may be picked up by a patrol officer on a traffic stop. Um,
1: and there's also other investigative techniques sure. that we haven't even gotten into, like your penal interest statement, your social media warrants, all those different investigative tools that uh, can help you positively. You know, the, the main problem is identifying people. Yeah, you know, it's that dope house where you go and you knock on the door, and there's a hand that comes out of this this hole that's cut in the cage. And that's all you can see is a hand. That's all you can see is, and you do your you do your fifty dollar cocaine buy those people you know how do you identify them traditionally you would go back get the warrant signed write up your warrant test your dope get it signed come back and uh hit the house no knock warrant and the people that were in there and the dope they get charged you know i mean there's a little more that goes into it than that um
2: you can do like but, a
0: hand lineup, get a lineup of hands and pick it up.
2: <laughs> right. yeah. right, I, 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 I think
0: we look for an easy answer to this question, Yeah. and there isn't one. We're looking for that panacea that covers every situation. Uh, I think when we talked about the, these three types of tactics, they're all viable tactics, and depending on how the investigation goes, I never, ever want to take away an option. Uh, to me, uh, a dynamic entry is an option that we, that we should, should be able to use still. Because you do get that occasional situation like Matt just described where you have no way to identify the subject that you're looking to arrest. So it may be that the culmination of your investigation ends with a, a dynamic warrant at a place that, number one, helps you recover the evidence that you have to have, helps you identify the suspect, and it's the safest way to do it for the officers. Well, I right. think
3: one, one of the things, too, is that police work isn't easy. It's not pretty. It gets ugly. And we have to follow rules. But the guys in the dope house have no rules, and you know we we have to work within constraints because of the constitution and case law. So I think sometimes people forget that we have rules that we got to follow. A burglar, you follow him around, you got to wait for that burglar to break into someone's house, tear some shit up, and then arrest him because after the damage is already done. So it's it's
2: a it's a reactive approach basically. I mean, in, yeah, and in, in y'all's type of investigation. Yes, you're reacting to a complaint, but you're having to do some proactive work to to make when, a case. And when
1: you have hundreds of complaints,
2: yeah, from citizens, from, the, si- from yeah. citizens that live in these neighborhoods, they're not they're not people that live outside or in other states that are that have a megaphone and and making policies. These are actually citizens that are having to live amongst this this crap. All right, since this is a different different type of episode, uh, we're we've got some questions here from some uh, fan, got a, some fangirls here um got a question can you make the case without the evidence
1: and that kind of goes to what gardler was just saying it uh if you if you're able to meet if you can draw someone out to a meeting location and do your hand-to-hand with them in say an open-air drug sale nine times out of ten we can get that person identified um and without giving up any trade secrets, right. uh, the, the most difficult ones are those trap houses. And they'll right. take
2: up the most complaints, usually.
1: And they take up the most complaints as far as identifying They're the biggest
0: people. sore in the neighborhood. Right. And, that's the, and they're
1: the most dangerous. That's where your murders right. and, you know, th- those are your quality of life issues.
2: Another one, what, is it, what are the c- considerations in determining which tactics y'all use?
1: Okay. Um, I kind of touched on it earlier a little bit, the, the structure itself. The location of the structure um floor plan square footage and there's all kind of determining factors just with the structure itself surrounding i mean and that that includes the neighboring areas the neighbors the locations immediate area um background of the suspect then we, yeah characteristics then we, of the neighborhood Time yeah. of day
0: school zones traffic patterns yeah.
1: The way uh, the wind's blowing, and we <laughs> haven't even really <laughs> talked about the suspect. What what's his, yeah, his background? and
2: yeah. history. Well, guns and dope are synonymous. I mean, you know, so you've always y'all always. You know, when I was describing,
1: than... I, I just thought about that when I was describing trap houses early. I didn't even bring up the uh, plethora of of artillery that we'll see in there. Even just doing a UC buy, an AK, you know, a chopper is synonymous with a with an ounce of cocaine I you
2: mean, saw some firearm firsthand in a trap house right <laughs> yeah. we thought we've already talked about that sure
0: well i've seen a i've seen a uh a barrett m82 pulled out of a dope house over on dixon circle so
1: yeah. what over there wow yep, shocking i've seen a barrett yep. 50 and a and a, a
2: freezer a long uh, mm-hmm. chest freezer i've seen we've seen an, a, an m60 60.
0: machine gun out of a house before i've got a so. couple
2: of true uzis out of there <laughs> like really yeah um yeah another question we got from fangirl what usually goes wrong with no knocks
1: no knocks uh what usually goes wrong oh the failed failed port and cover or a failed breach yeah never is it anything that's really uh you know we'll have officers injured quite a bit on port and covers from the glass um i'd say once or twice a year somebody will get stitches off of that failed breaches due to um heavily barricaded primary entry point so we plan for an alternate entry um
0: i think uh, the, what goes wrong sometimes uh again it goes back to if the police do something and the bad guy takes a shot at you what did the police do wrong right what did we do yeah. wrong how come you went to that window and not this window why did you come down the street this way and not that way those are the kind of things that are looked at. And again, I was saying earlier, any any team that conducts a tactical operation, we do not control the suspect. That's a, that's a misnomer to think that what we do controls the suspect. What we can do is we control the environment. So we can control uh, his ingress and egress from that location. We can confront where, where we can control where we confront him. Hopefully, if we know he sells dope from the front room, we might uh, put a. a a window team on that room, for instance, and hopefully he will follow our instructions. But ultimately, that person decides what he does. We can—it's an old saying in, in the SWAT and the tactical world. We control the environment; we never control the suspect.
1: And that's what the officers are going to be held accountable for—not the 427 warrants that they did successfully, but that 428th warrant where the bad guy shot at us. And that's where—that's where you're going to uh, get get your most critique and we, discipline
2: you can pick it apart anything you can pick apart how you drove to work mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 times but the 11th time you veered over into a lane and you hit somebody and you caused an accident you could pick it apart right and this is an ugly job it's a shitty job and it's not many people want to do it
0: i think uh, general Patton said the first casualty of battle is always the plan so it doesn't matter what how well you have thought this out how much time you have spent uh, planning this and taking into into account everything that you think you could possibly take. You have the one wild card, and that's the suspect.
2: Well, General Girdler, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. <laughs> I want to thank you all for doing this. Uh, this is a, a topic uh, I think a lot of people need to hear and understand more importantly. Uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you for service, and keep doing what you're doing and be safe. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. you.